If you're growing a business or just thinking about launching a startup, this is definitely the podcast for you. This is Fast Forward, brought to you by Tech Manchester. We support early stage tech focused businesses. Each week, we'll dive into the issues that we know keep entrepreneurs awake at night. We'll chat to experts who'll share their tips and advice on how to handle everything from raising finance, making your first hire, to getting your company noticed on social media or in the press. Running a business is a roller coaster. It's exhilarating, but it's pretty damn scary at times too. We're here to help you get your business off the ground and hopefully get a better night's sleep. It's hosted by me, Patricia Keating, Executive Director at Tech Manchester. Standing in a tin shed, waiting for the van to come. Oh, friend, have you seen where my golden tickets be? Welcome back to the Fast Forward podcast and our amazing women mini-series. My guest today has spent almost 50 years of her life living with the weight of a huge secret. Amy Stanning spent decades feeling different and she finally took the brave step to become her authentic self and transitioned in 2009. Welcome, Amy, to the podcast. Thank you, Trish. Hi, it's really good to be back here at UK Fast again. <laughs> Amy, you now work with businesses to help optimise uh, what's now known as colleague inclusion, and I can't wait to learn more about that, um, through aligning their frontline experiences with diversity stra- strategy. Um, but I'm so delighted that you're here to talk to us about your journey, um, how that journey has affected you personally, how that's transformed your professional life and how you're now helping businesses to become fully inclusive. Um, but we like to always explain who you are and why you're here talking about these really important subjects. So um, let's start at the beginning of, of your story. Um, tell us about Amy way back at the beginning and um, when did you start feeling that you were a little different to the other kids? Oh gosh, that was a, a quite an early age actually, um, probably four or five. Mm-hmm. Um so the a sense of feeling a bit different and a bit detached and not understanding what that was about mm. and why. So, you know, I was brought up in a very loving, very conventional nuclear family, um, initially in South Manchester. Uh, and then later on, we moved to Preston. But um, did you have siblings? Yeah, two young, two younger siblings. So okay. I was the eldest of three. Yeah. And um, I suppose, how how would I relate to that? So when playing with, you know, with, with, with friends at a young age, both male and female, and having a sense of sort of disconnection from male friends and connection with female friends yeah. that I just couldn't explain. And then um, the way I felt about myself having dreams um so you know i would i would have dreams where i was playing the the role of a female character i may be seen on tv mm-hmm. and then kind of waking up in the morning and kind of realizing that i wasn't and that i was male and then increasingly a sense of longing that that would somehow magically change mm. but of course it didn't 
But I couldn't articulate what that was yeah. and I couldn't articulate what that was about. So that kind of persisted through until, you know, from the age of five, six through until I was about 12, 13. Yeah. And what happened then? Um, you know, How I'd was your mum and dad during that period? Like oh, they're we... absolutely fine, very stable yeah. family. You know, we weren't a family that talked particularly much about how we felt. Mm. And, and Stiff I, upper lip and... Yeah, you oh. know, you kind of got on with things. Yes. Um, and um, I suppose I learnt, or maybe it's my character, I don't know, but to kind of just absorb things and internalise things. Yeah. And, yeah, and as far as I was concerned, the way I was was, was normal. Yeah. Yeah? Because you didn't know <laughs> anything. I didn't have any, yeah. any, any benchmark. Um, to compare against other than the people around right. me, I suppose. And then kind of the, the, the cathartic moment was when I was, as I say, 12 or 13, sitting in my parents' front room one Sunday morning. And um, my dad loved to buy pretty much every Sunday newspaper. And the family ritual was to sit there and plough yeah. through them. Yeah. So um, I must have been quite geeky. <laughs> You're all reading broadsheets <laughs> no, Sunday but that's newspapers. Back in, but that was back in back the day. In there was the only day. five t- TV channels. Three, I think, in those days. I'm dating myself <laughs> now. Yeah. Um, oh, Channel Bonanza, 4 Bonanza was on yeah. or the Waltons. <laughs> Absolutely. The Virginian was compulsory viewing. Yeah. Anyway, never mind. So... Um, so what, what it was I was reading, I was reading the Sunday Times the Review, and they serialised the autobiography of Jan Morris, who had been John Morris, um, fortunately still with us, um, and had quite an exciting life. I was at Suez as a journalist, I think, and um, became quite a celebrated art critic mm-hmm. uh, and writer. And basically she wrote her autobiography, which is called Conundrum, it's still available, um, and it's an interesting read, but she was kind of one of the pioneering trans people who basically documented her 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 experience, and um, that really struck a chord with me. And it was a bit like the huge reveal, you know, the curtains opened, because so much of what she was saying and her experience resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, that's that's me. That's how I feel. And and for the very first time, I had a frame of reference to begin to deal with how I felt. Um, but, you know, this was the early 70s. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of trying to get information about what this transgender thing was and, and what it was about was incredibly difficult, um, you know, there was you, legislation even in well, schools that would stop that, you even. Well, it being was able just something that. people just didn't talk about. Yeah. You know, it was kind of, you know, there are a few examples, I think, that have been in the press, but it's incredibly rare. It wasn't discussed. Um, and if you wanted to research anything, you had to go and look in the encyclopedia in the library. Mm. <laughs> and I can remember going to do that. And if it wasn't there, that was it. So, um, you know, the school I was at was, was a, a good supportive school, but you know, kind of what we now call PHSE just didn't wasn't a thing. Yeah. We didn't talk about that. We didn't talk about sexuality. We didn't talk about gender. It was a single sex male school. Um and so there was kind of no place that I could discuss how I felt yeah. and who I or felt I was. So so you know kind of you do you do what you I suppose what I did, I, I, I got on with leading the life I had. Yeah. And 
sort of li- living to the expectations that I had at, at family and at school and at peer group. And I suppose that continued through to university. Um, and and you get into this, or I did anyway, into this syndrome of of just covering up, of kind of getting on with it and hiding how you really feel, never really talk to anybody about it. Um, and, and, you know, that takes its toll yeah. in terms of how you feel. Um, but I suppose through my life, I've been reasonably good at just getting on with it. Um, and so, you know, had three good years at university, went to London, had a wonderful time, got a job, met someone, um, we got married, we had a family. Um, and I guess probably during the early years, in my 20s and 30s, it was easier to deal with because, you know, life was just so busy. busy. You know, growing career, um, busy family, lots going on. Had you started at Barclays then? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I joined Barclays straight from university. Yeah. Um, and um, But what then happened was it was always there. And I suppose I developed coping mechanisms. But over time, my ability to cope diminished. And I suppose, you know, kind of, you know, your life changes. And I got to the stage where there was this part of me, big part of me, my sense of who I am, that just had to come out I suppose kind of rose to the surface and um it became quite a struggle to continue to function you know at work at home Mm. friends as who I was representing myself to be but increasingly knowing that that wasn't the real me and also you know by this time you know the internet was Mm-hmm. On on its way, I can remember buying my first dial-up modem and the horrible noises it used to <laughs> make. And, yeah, I've got a connection. And so being yeah, able to research yeah. And, yeah. and Google stuff. And then get educate yourself. Absolutely. And join forums and contribute to discussions. Yeah. And find other people that were absolutely feeling the exact same thing as you. Connect. So, yeah. uh, although that was virtually connecting. So, um, you know, that, that continued. So I, I was able to articulate how I felt and who I was. And, you know, privately express myself as who I knew myself to be. But and you say privately to yourself or to your family? No, to, that that was, well... Because yeah, you're still trying to work it out yourself. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, continue to function in the roles that I had. Um, and and I suppose eventually yeah, what, what was happening was I was almost beginning to live this dual life as her um, privately, but as him publicly. Mm-hmm. And I guess I was gripped by a fear of if I have the honest and open conversation and come out, you know, what would that do for my role at work, mm-hmm. my responsibilities as a parent? Um, but eventually, and I, th- I think kind of working in a, environment which was increasingly inclusive and being a bit starting to talk about gender and sex uh, sort of sexuality should I say um 
kind of helped and also because society's changing around us at, ab- at the absolutely. same time yeah 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 because yeah. we're now what into the 80s and 90s yeah so point. we're into the yeah so late <laughs> 80s early 90s so there's more, more conversation obviously you know the the, the, the internet has kicked off mm. much more information available but but eventually you know to cut a long story short i just got to the point when i was in my mid to late 40s that that this just wasn't sustainable. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't... I, I, I suppose that the the conflict between being able to be who I was and express myself as who I knew myself to be and this role I had and all the connections into work and family and friends was just beginning to turn me apart. Mm-hmm. So um, eventually... I just got to the stage and I had disclosed to, to family, which was incredibly difficult, but I had done that, um, where, uh, and, and also at work, you know, I was climbing the greasy pole, I'd moved to a level of, you know, to director level and with, you know, huge responsibilities in terms of people, business mm-hmm. delivery. And I just couldn't cope with juggling it all. I, yeah. And so I got to a point of Something no return, absolutely, where I just knew that to go on and to be able to continue to function, let alone be happy, yeah. <laughs> I, I just needed to, yeah, in the jargon, transition and live as my true self. So um, kind of, well, what, what I did, I, I, was, I was off work. I'd had some time off work to help me deal with where I was and work didn't know and um, I called my HR business partner who knew I was away and I said right I need to come and talk to you <laughs> about something yeah. Yeah, okay you know that's fine okay well, yeah, when do you want to come out I said well I need to tell you something first <laughs> yeah. so I disclosed um, and um, there was a bit of oh okay mm, that's interesting um, bit of a surprise yeah. <laughs> And um, Karen, um, who was my business partner, um, said, well, that's fine, you know, we'll deal with that. And so I went in and and basically what had happened was in the meantime, she'd gone off and done her research. So um, we met. I was living in the southeast at the time and went mm-hmm. up and we met at Canary Wharf in a coffee bar and had a, had a <laughs> chat. And um, I think you know, that was a really powerful experience. So I was hugely conspicuous or felt hugely conspicuous, mm. um, probably not presenting terribly well. Um, so being in any public space was a challenge. Um, yeah, challenge of ridicule, abuse, all that kind of stuff. Um, not quite sure where work were going to be coming from. Mm-hmm. And um, she started off the conversation by, you know, kind of, Tell me, so I did, and for, I could tell from the questions that she'd been that she was asking that she'd done her research, mm-hmm. so I knew what some of the jargon was. And um, she said the most incredibly powerful thing to me during the course of that conversation, which was, "Look, you go off and sort out everything else in your life, so family, friends, everything else you have to sort out, but actually." Work is one thing you don't need to worry about. We'll make it happen for you. And it was like, I think I had to do a double take and say pardon. Mm -hmm. 
And and she said, no, kind of, you know, we will support you through this process. Um, we'll agree a plan to make it happen. So just focus on everything else mm-hmm. and we'll make work happen. So that's what I did. So over the course of a few meetings with her and then meeting my boss, we hatched a plan and they were hugely supportive of me in terms of, okay, so you're going to transition. So, you know, you'll start presenting as Amy. Um, We will deal with all of that. Mm. Um, Make all all the infrastructure things. So I wore uniform because I was in a customer-facing role. So we'll sort uniform out. We'll sort all your passes out, your email. But most of all... Logistics. We will help your colleagues and your peer Mm. group begin to understand what this is about. So that basically we'll ask that, we'll give them the, we'll give them some information and we'll ask them to ask all the, all the awkward questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's Be- difficult for everybody. Absolutely. And I think when you're in the midst of this, this process, which is hugely transformational and stressful and puts a huge amount of strain and stress on multiple aspects of your life. Um, and there's no relief, is there? You know, you talked about, you know, obviously coming out to your family must mm. have been incredibly difficult and whatever anxiety that you built up and then you managed to overcome it and then you had mm. to do it again with speaking to your HR business partner and then speaking to your bosses and then speaking to your staff. And, you know, that whole, like it just must have been like, Relief, but then pressure. Mm. Relief, then pressure. Absolutely. So you kind of, the way I dealt with it was one thing at a time. Mm. So at work, what happened was a plan was built and basically we had an organisation called Agenda Trust come in and they ran sessions for my peers, my reports, which basically took them through, you know, what being transgender is, what it Mm. involves, um, kind of... answering all the questions about, well, which loos are they going to use? What does this mean about sexuality? How do we address um, this person? What happens if we make a mistake? What's likely to happen um, in terms of, you know, kind of my journey on what I'd be going through? And um, so that that was a really helpful process. So I took a couple of weeks off, had a, had a holiday and then came back. And by this time I was, I'd legally changed my name, mm-hmm. done all the admin stuff uh, and was living full time as me. And my, my then PA organised my uniform and went into work. And um, How was that first day back? I, I, it was anxious. I'd already been into the office to change all my personal banking arrangements. Mm. So it wasn't the first time yeah. they'd met me. So that kind of helped break the ice. But obviously not everybody was there. So the first day in the office, what, there was a certain amount of tension. But, you know, I had people around me that I knew and trusted. Mm-hmm. And um, But there was a, an atmosphere in the office. So I'm, yeah, I've been away for two weeks, got a big backlog of emails. I'm sat there <laughs> on my laptop. You know, there's kind of yeah. strange Surreal. chat. Yeah, strange <laughs> chat going on around... 
And yeah. what it was, I realised afterwards, nobody wanted to make the first faux pas. Yeah. So misgender me, use my old name. Yeah. And, and I think that, that the point of that was everybody was hugely supportive and nobody mm. wanted to make a mistake to upset, upset. upset me. That was the issue. And... Um, <laughs> The irony was the very first person who actually got it wrong was me, <laughs> which was hilarious. How did you get it wrong? Oh, gosh. So I was on the phone to somebody and they wanted my email address. So I uh... gave my old one. And it was like, oh, and, and I went, I oh, well, that's not right. And the whole office just burst out laughing because they were all listening. Yeah. And that just killed the tension. Uh, but all yeah. of a sudden it was like back to normal. Yeah. So, um, so because I ran a, a sales force, uh, running, working over multiple branches. So I then had a whole series of visits to do yeah. to different locations. Again. So and again. it was again and again. And kind of, you know, news travels fast in any organisation mm-hmm. and, and the grapevine was pretty good, pretty effective. But so kind of inevitably, the first time I would show up somewhere mm-hmm. afterwards, there was quite a lot of interest and attention. Yeah. But Everybody was of, in work that day. Yeah, but but the point is, it very very rapidly becomes yesterday's news. Yeah. So it goes around the ground. Did you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, God, big surprise. Yeah. Da, 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 da. And it's like, well, hopefully I yeah, look reasonably over. okay, presented reasonably yeah. well. Mm. And, you know, wearing uniform helps. So I didn't have, you know, sort of to yeah. express my appalling sense of fashion. So <laughs> you I just, don't you know, have a falling sense cor- of fashion. Cor- corporate, <laughs> corporate wear was, um, was kind of an, an, a... Yeah. Really convenient, yes. yeah, because everybody looks the same. So yeah. you know, so then it's hair, makeup, manner, blah 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 blah. And and I think that something that was really really valuable to me, um, which um, is is worth bringing out, is particularly because I transitioned quite late in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so nothing I can do about my physical frame. Um, my voice, it takes time to lower the register to go through speech therapy that all happened later just mannerisms behavior all the rest of it all the little unconscious clues that we use when we gender someone um it takes a long time to work on that and you know there's no medical intervention in terms of hormone treatment or whatever Mm -hmm. For quite a long time afterwards, you've got to prove that you can live in what's called your acquired gender for, in my case, it was a year before you get any medical support. I think think that's changed now, so I don't wish to alarm anybody, but when it was me, it it was a year. So you feel very conspicuous. You know, I'm very self-conscious. Wearing sunglasses really helped me. (laughs) Big sunglasses, beetle eyes. Yeah. Um, Kind of helped me because... Just a bit of a shame. Where you're at. Yeah. But but the point was that outside, bearing in mind I was working in the southeast, travelling into London on the tube, all the rest of it, very conspicuous. Fortunately, there were very few incidents where I was um victimized or um had um a problem. Mm-hmm. But what I knew in work, that would never happen. So wherever I worked, whether I was in head office, whether I was in the branch, apart from some natural curiosity and a bit of anxiousness, as I described, not to make the mistake, not to misgender, use the wrong name, all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, which you just have to be, you just have to develop a thick skin and, you know, you can work out when it's accidental uh, or, or malicious, sadly, none of the latter. But in work, I knew I was safe. I knew 
if I had a problem, which I didn't, my boss had got my back. I knew that my colleagues, my peers were supportive. Some natural curiosity, which is fine, but I felt very safe and supported. It was when I left work, if I was using public yeah. transport, that I felt vulnerable. <clears throat> yeah. And and I think for all LGBT people, whether they're trans or anywhere in the LGBT anywhere in the LGBT family, to know that at work, or indeed anywhere else, you're safe and you can truly be you and someone has your back is incredibly valuable. And um, that, for me, and, 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 and I think the value of that, or part is that if you're, you haven't been through that process, you haven't come out, you haven't disclosed... You kind of take that for granted, you know, because everybody has the right to feel safe and valued mm-hmm. in the workplace. But um, I'm, I'm, I hesitate to guess that most people just take that for granted. That's how it is. Yeah. Yeah. But when you've been through something like that, you've disclosed something incredibly personal mm-hmm. to know that actually that's okay. The workplace and the people around you value you for who you are. And if you have a problem, somebody's got your back is incredibly important and has all sorts of benefits in terms of, you know, the individual's well-being, sense of confidence. You know, you can grow as yourself knowing that and it's okay to, to make mistakes. And you but, can be your optimum self. Absolutely. <clears throat> so, so all sorts of benefits there, you know, in terms of increasing loyalty and commitment to the employer. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of being able to perform, you know, there's, there's research been done that talks about the proportion of mental capacity yeah. that is wasted. Yeah, that, yeah, absolutely, <clears throat> Trish. Yeah. That is wasted or, or rather used to build the false narrative and cover up and yeah. keep the defences up. So um, it's hugely important. So, and, and then for me, about three months afterwards... So one of my colleagues said, oh, you know, kind of, you know, how is it? You know, three months on or whatever it was. How do you feel? And, and I had to stop and think about it. And the best way I can describe it is to say, well, well, what I said at the time, which was, do you know what? Now, with the benefit of hindsight, I now know that for so long I'd been carrying this, what felt like a, a backpack mm-hmm. full of lead around me that I could never put down and was weighing me down, and I was always conscious of it. Now I've taken it off, and it's not there anymore. And whilst life post-transition is not always easy, I didn't have that burden anymore, that pretending, that... Exhausting. That, that, yeah, that whole sense of, this is wrong, this is not who you are, you need to do something else. And and that that was just amazing. So, yeah. So, nice. there you go. Um, before we move on, mm. I just wondered, um, you know, listening to you talk, um, have you reflected on how your journey has maybe helped transform a corporate business like Barclays? Because I'm sure the lessons that they took from addressing the support that they needed to provide you has had a, like that butterfly effect within the business generally. And... Um, I can't imagine that you wouldn't feel proud, you know, that that pain and anxiety, you know, all of the things that you went through to do that has had a 
an impact to help other people? Mm, I think um, I was probably, I wasn't the first, but I was probably the most senior because I was director level. So I had a reasonable level of responsibility and span of control. Yeah. And I think the fact that somebody at a senior level can do that and the organisation supports kind of says a lot in the firm. But also, you, you, whether you like it or not, you become a role model. Mm-hmm. And so that gives you a certain amount of authority within the organisation and people ask you. So, you know, I would regularly get requests from people all, all over the organisation you know, either I've got a member of staff who's in this journey somewhere or yeah. I have a member of staff who has a member of their family um, and ended up speaking to you know, some very senior people about things going on in their families, but also in terms of you know, the infrastructure of the firm. So the policy development to support trans people, um, when I went through it, how should you say, needed a bit more development. Yeah. So I was involved in that. And in the end, the organisation developed a really sound um, leading policy on transition in the workplace. And, 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 and I was also asked to get involved in a leadership role with the LGBT network in the firm. And, and, and so I did that, voluntary role. So I ended up being co-chair for three years. And um, I absolutely love that. Yeah, it was a demanding role on on the side of yeah. an, a, a busy yeah. executive it's your passion role. project. <laughs> yeah, but um, so the responsibility I had was leading what we called a colleague agenda. So we had did a strategic review, had three main priorities for the network, and co- so colleague activation, colleague involvement was was one of mine. So that that was growing membership um, in a distributed business. You know, like a bank with lots of branches, you have people everywhere. So consistency mm. of experience, education was thing was it was 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 important. Fortunately, I had a job where I travelled, so I was in different campus and branch locations very regularly. So that that helped. Um, but also our involvement with Pride up and down the country, so mm. massively grew the number of Prides we were involved in and supported. Some we sponsored. Some it was a question of just mobilising getting people, you know, all the paraphernalia you need to do it, yeah. T-shirts, yeah. giveaways, goodies, yeah. paying entrance fees, all, all yeah. that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, that that was really good. So, again, I was visible. And kind of my view of if you're a leader and you're responsible for colleague engagement, you've actually got to get out there. You can't yeah. do it remotely. You <laughs> yeah. can't be a name on an email. So, you know, kind of going to lots of prides. And yeah. that I think that, that, that worked quite well. Um and you know that that was that was a hugely positive experience. But one thing that came out of that was you know you build a network, and um, one of the things the LGBT community is really good about is building networks in companies across companies and in geographies. And um, so I did a lot of work with LGBT networks in other firms, and I came to be asked to just go in and share experience, talk, guide, um, you know, one major travel operator who was looking to build an LGBT network. So we had a meeting. I just shared some experience, gave them some ideas, some pointers, mm-hmm. um, which seemed to to work really well for them. And so that became a bit of a thing. And that was all kind of all done on a 
I've got yeah. my day job and I'm doing this yeah. and I'm doing so, that. So it was something, you know, yeah. kind of I did. So you were very busy. <laughs> under the firm's banner. Yeah. But the firm was very happy for me to do that. Yeah. And and, and I love doing that. So um so yeah, it became became quite a quite a challenge to keep splitting all the plates. Yeah. Um so I stood down from running the network. They gave me an honorary title of ambassador, which sounds like nice. you should turn out with Ferrero Rocher. <laughs> but um, I mean, please do. Where are they? This morning, anyway? <laughs> so, uh, not an ambassador anymore. So yeah, and I'm known for next time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make a pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was it was a really positive time, and it was yeah. it was really good to be able to share a little bit of experience. And you know, kind of nobody likes being described as a role model, but inevitably. You are because of your experience and hopefully my sharing of my experience helped others elsewhere. Yeah, definitely sounds like it. So I guess all of that work then kind of, is that where the consultancy and what you do now, let's move on and talk about Mm. what you do now. Um, Is that kind of, it kind of evolved out of that? Is that where, was there a decision making point where you went, do you know what, actually I'm going to go and do this as Mm. a full time thing and... Yeah, so, you know, I I was at Barclays 36 years, um, lots of different roles, mm-hmm. love working there, you know, and as I said, you know, I did the last 10 years plus post-transition. Yeah. And um, they were probably the happiest years, not to say that I was unhappy before, but I no, dealt with my issues, you, you know, yeah. so I'd, I'd kind of moved on. You'd lost the and, backpack. Yeah, and I had a, yeah, I'd lost the backpack. Had had a seri- yeah, really good series of roles, but nothing lasts forever. And the time came for me to move on, which was, it, in the end, it was my decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and the organisation was very supportive. And it's, well, what am I going to do next? And um, You had it kind of happening. <laughs> it's your side hustle. So, yeah, so so I had I had lots of ideas. Mm. So um, I wanted to do some study, so mm. I'm pursuing that. Um, what are you studying? Um, so I'm... <laughs> so Are you PhDing? Uh, not yet. <laughs> I'd hope to. <laughs> um, so that's an aspiration. So at the moment I'm doing an MA. So mm-hmm. I'm doing an MA at Lancaster in, would you believe, international and military history. Nice. History has always <gasps> been my passion. It was my right. first off, degree. Off the, after this podcast, we're having another conversation. <laughs> I can talk about that all day. <laughs> Love talk about military history. Anything all day. But um, so, but I'm doing that part time and mm-hmm. that's that's deliberate because it was a long time since I'd done my first degree. And frankly, I want to do other things with my life. Yeah. So I relocated. I live in a town in the northwest now. So there's lots of things I get involved in there. Um, school governor involved in some heritage um, organisations and um, a little bit of political activism as well. But um I was really passionate about the piece I've been developing when I was at Barclays in terms of working with organisations, companies, public bodies to help them improve diversity and inclusion, you know, the, the EDI acronym, Equality, mm. Diversity, Inclusion, in the workplace, which obviously having been through it, I'm really passionate about. And... Um, you know, kind of when I've worked with organisations, it's been well received. So, you know, I think I've got something to offer. So um, that was then a question of building on existing contacts that I had. So I've, I do a couple of, I've done some talks talking about my experience in the workplace and why inclusion really matters to minority communities in the workplace. So the, and the greater part of my consultancy has 
recently been with Manchester Pride. Yeah. You use the word um, colleague inclusion um, or a term, um, mm. which is new actually to me. Um, can you explain a bit more about about that? And then um, we'll talk about what you're doing with Manchester Of Pride. course, yeah. So these days there's a huge amount of focus on what's called equality, diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Okay. So equality won't well, mean what it says, I suppose. Um, equality of opportunity, equality of access. So that whatever group you're from, whether that's part of a minority group or using Equality Act language, a protected characteristic group, which would be LGBT, um, people with disabilities um, and, and other groups as well. So most, most organisations have got really well-defined policies on that and it's mm-hmm. a, a matter of law that you have to. Yeah. Um, diversity is kind of fairly easy to achieve because you can create a diverse workforce because of who you hire. Mm-hmm. So if you have a gender imbalance you can go out and hire more of the gender that you don't have. Mm -hmm. Typically women, but not always. Um, If you have um, ethnicity uh, disparity, you can sort that. It takes Mm -hmm. time. And, you know, if you're you're dealing with organisations with extended career journeys, it can take time for that to work through. But that's a matter of policy and practice. Inclusion is different. Because inclusion is about what it feels like and the experience of the colleague in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And inclusion to me is quite simply defined as, does my opinion matter? Do people listen to me? Do I have a voice? Yeah. So it's about in a, you know, for example, in a meeting, you know, gendered inclusion is something that we come across quite a lot which in terms of, does everybody have the opportunity to get their opinion over? Do we ask everybody in the meeting, session, whatever it is, do they have an opinion? Do they want to contribute? Mm. Not allowing one group to dominate the conversation. Yeah. So, but it's around, if there's an issue that impacts you as a member of a minority community, a um, you know, protected characteristic group, does anybody listen when you make your point of view known. But but more importantly that, do you feel confident that you can make your point and that your boss or whoever it is will listen? So inclusion is like that glue that makes you, leaves you feeling you're part of this, mm. you're valued, and you can be authentically yourself whilst being listened to. And that's much harder to achieve. And... And kind of my experience, both you know, where I was working, but also working with other companies, is many firms have got really good policies, yeah? And they're very aware of the importance of you know, a diverse workforce. Mm. But actually activating all that and changing the colleague experience is the bit that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Because policies don't make inclusive Workplaces, do they? Uh, no, 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 absolutely not. It's it's behaviours. They make good, good doorstops. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. If you want to print the darn thing up. Um, but it's about 
how people behave, mm. how people are aware of the needs of minority groups, the challenges that they face. And it, it, there's an intangible sense of you kind of know when you've got it and know when you don't. Mm -hmm. But it's something that organisations need to reflect on, mm. obtain feedback on both internally and externally and have a positive plan of action to bring that about, which, you know, can be training, development, different ways of organising the workplace, uh, use of role models, mm -hmm. uh, maybe... Mentorship and sponsorship. Absolutely, and mentoring, advocacy. coach, absolutely, all that kind of good, good stuff. Um, but if you achieve it, the benefits are huge because it's glue, it ties mm. people to organisations. It doesn't mean to say people never leave because, no. of course, people leave because they, you know, circumstances change, aspirations change. But having a workplace where people feel they're treated fairly, mm -hmm. where they matter to the organisation and they're valued, I think has huge benefits both for the individual and for the yeah. workplace even if they leave like um listening to you you're um, barclay's biggest ambassador mm. you know who wouldn't listen to this and and think i want to go back and barclays <laughs> <laughs> you know so leaving you know leaving in in a good way and leaving with positive mm. memories that you can share no matter where you go yep so when i i do yeah i love going to pride as i mentioned yeah. before so I think I attended four or five prides last year, got soaked in some of them, <laughs> nice warm sunny in others. Yeah. Uh, and I was at Manchester, but I'm very happy and proud to put on a Barclays t-shirt and work with a Barclays yeah. walk with the Barclays colleagues. Yeah. Because that matters your to sense me. Sense of identity. Yeah. 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 Um, so how can organizations be um so they've got their policies, they are creating through training and sponsorship more inclusive workplaces. Mm -hmm. Um, but can they be doing more? Can they be positive agents for change? What else should they be doing as well as, you know, what they're doing internally? What else should they be doing? Yeah, I think absolutely businesses can be positive agents for change. And you don't have to be a large multinational, multi-site business to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Because everything we do every day impacts and influences someone. And even if you're a really small one, two-person business, mm -hmm. You're in contact with people, the way you behave and the values that you have and the values that you demonstrate through your behaviour have impact mm -hmm. and scale of impact clearly different. So I think... Um, it just depends if you can throw a pebble or a rock. Absolutely. But, but the ripples you, still... The ripples are still there. Absolutely, mm -hmm. Trish. So it's about uh, uh, honest reflection on the part of the business. And, you know, I believe, and I've seen it, that to bring about real change in a business needs to be top-down and bottom-up. You can't do it either way. Um, so senior leaders of businesses need to be on this agenda to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And my experience is, broadly speaking, that is the case, actually. So at an executive level, you want to have a workplace, so a workforce which is capable of delivering whatever objective you have. And I think, you know, we've moved to the position where most organisations understand, or many, 
that that's about having a diverse work workforce, having a workforce, you know, as we said, feels valued and included and gives of their best. And also you can retain your talent. Um, but but actually intent isn't enough. Mm-hmm. You need to take positive steps. So positive steps are communicating openly, using inclusive language in the organisation and for executives and senior managers to make their expectations really clear of their junior and middle management mm-hmm. yeah. and and create a climate, maybe with a little bit of investment as well, a little bit of encouragement that, that actually sets the tone for what the organisation requires. So an example of this, and I don't want to harp on about Barclays all the time, but the very <laughs> first year that Barclays sponsored London Pride or Pride in London, which is quite a number of years ago now, um, in the week before, the then chief executive, Anthony Jenkins, did a double-spread interview in the Evening Standard to talk about what inclusion meant to him Mm -hmm. and why it was important to him. So, yeah, the audience for that is twofold. It's the general public that happen to read Metro. Yeah. Yeah, and get a bit of context and maybe a bit of consciousness raised, but also employees. Mm-hmm. So for employees to read that and talk about it, yeah. says, okay, so the most senior executive in this organisation is going out there and saying he's personally committed to LGBT inclusion and he has expectations of the organisation and wider society is really important. Mm-hmm. So so I think that top down's important. Clearly you need people at the you know passionate or, people at the rank, rank and yeah. file people on the shop floor. Because they're the ones that make whatever. it happen. Absolutely. So they often need encouragement. And I think the trick is to get the middle layer on board, your middle management, your supervisory staff, which is why it needs to come from both ends. Because I think Intent is often there, but people have massive agendas. You know, mm-hmm. no, nobody has an easy ride at work these days. <laughs> yeah. Organisations require more and more, and yeah. I've worked We're in a sales organisation. Absolutely. It's yeah, it's like more with less, yeah. you know, the mantra. <clears throat> I, I get all that. But you need to get this on the agenda. So you need to tackle it from both ends. And so some honest reflection, sometimes having a third party in mm-hmm. to ask some questions, which can be uncomfortable at times to review what's happening in the organisation and to give, you know, a dispassionate third-party view of where you are and things that you could do to change and improve. It doesn't matter where you are, everybody's got scope to improve, um, can be really, really valuable. And I think that sort of cycle of intent, awareness action review yeah. and repeat is just the so valuable absolutely <laughs> going going around yeah. and i think coupled to that organizations that get it right and um have that intent can be huge forces for good and it doesn't matter whether you're a business to business supplier like uk fast or you're a retail business or something in between the way you treat people, the way you treat your own staff, the way you treat your customers and the messages you put out has a really positive impact on everybody involved but society generally. So, you know, so 
institutions that choose to put LGBT role models on their on their advertising mm -hmm. on their public um, <clears throat> face can be significant agents for change. So something that's very topical at the moment you might have seen is a Starbucks ad, um, which is all about a young trans person mm -hmm. who is unable to use their um, the name that reflects their gen their true gender in uh, any aspect of their life. And the one per place that they can when they're asked when they order their coffee in yeah, Starbucks in is, Starbucks. what's your name? Mm -hmm. And okay, it's great advertising. It's great for the Starbucks brand. Mm -hmm. But actually it's using their power to deliver a message into the community. Yeah. It's all right to be a trans person and it's okay to live with your... True self. True self and your true, true identity. And... Um, it is important that organisations are consistent. So there is this thing, um, this horrible bit of jargon called pinkwashing, which is about you need to be consistent. So mm -hmm. I've seen organisations, retail organisations, rainbow flags on their shop window at mm -hmm. times of pride. And you think, well, Once a year. what really happens? Yeah. You know, when pride's gone, you take the rainbow down, it's something else. But how? what's the colleague experience like in that organisation? So you have to be consistent because if you're not, your staff and your customers will Seen find it. you out. Yeah. Absolutely. And it becomes self-defeating. It actually puts you in a worse space. Because if you're trying to be something that you're not, it it can be quite corrosive mm. to the brand and the experience of being in the firm. But done properly, where it's that you're actually being consistent and demonstrating your your values and your practice can be incredibly powerful for the brand, but also for the wider community Society. as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, you touched upon um, organisations um, bringing in outside mm. help and, you know, allowing them to kind of um, be scrutinised. Um, and there's a number of different um, things out there that organisations can do, but you're working on, on one in particular. Um, can we just talk briefly about that? Yeah, so um, I was very pleased um, about a year ago, to be invited by Manchester Pride to help them on the the development and rollout of the All Equals Charter. So the All Equals Charter is a set of six standards um, that uh, Manchester Pride have developed to help organisations understand where they are in developing inclusive practice in their organisation. So it covers, uh, as I say, six separate areas, but they would include influence on third parties, um, you know, the wider public, um, suppliers, the colleague experience in that, in that firm, their uh, practices around hiring, around um, internal promotion and development, um, their product positioning as well, um, so it's it's really quite powerful, um, and it 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 covers a wide range of aspects of operation. It's suitable for um, a wide range of organisations, public sector organisations, educational, health mm -hmm. service, through to private sector companies. So they define that those standards and the process which um, is has been developed is to put in place an assessment process that allows organisations to get some um, independent objective feedback on how they're going and um, some suggested actions for further improving 
where they are because, you know, as we said, it doesn't matter where you are, everybody can improve. So that's been a really exciting journey and I've loved being a part of that. Yeah, we've enjoyed having you in um, here at UK Fast to go through that process and was an illuminating um, process and we've definitely taken some actions to move forward from that. Um, but you just said about being on the journey and um, one of uh, your phrases that you use is about uh, next practice, not best practice. Um, what do you mean um, by that when you talk about next practice? Next practice. Um, well, lots of people talk about best practice. I probably will start using it from now on. <laughs> I really <laughs> next, like it. Best practice is good. So that's kind of, you know, in terms of where you are, mm-hmm. it's about... Um, resulting from your experience and your reflection to make sure that um, your colleagues um, and anybody who comes into contact with your business, your organisation, is getting the best experience they possibly could, which is fine. But actually, best practice changes. So you could look at best practice now compared to best practice 10 years ago. It would be quite different. And it would have been, if you did, best practice 10 years ago right now you probably go that's terrible absolutely that's (laughs) That's not so good so so the horizon changes and it it, you can use this um use this in any aspect of your business operations not just about inclusion yeah but next practice for me is saying where are we going next Mm. what is the next thing we can do um how can we develop what we're doing so that we we continue to be placed at the forefront of development in this field, whether it's a technical field, whether it's product development, uh, colleague development, or whether it's inclusion practice. So um, so to give give you an example, um, an, an, an area of next practice that I've seen picked up and developed, which is now best practice. Next has become next. <laughs> so a couple of years ago, it became evident that um, a very few, if any, large-scale organisations that offered private health cover mm-hmm. to their employees and families covered um, gender transition. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's true to say that the insurance companies that provide the insurance were very reluctant to go there, arguing that the NHS provided. Now, anybody who's been through this would tell you the NHS can be <laughs> provides very provides all healthcare. Can be very <laughs> Why good. Why do we need any private medical insurance based well, on that precisely. argument? But the cute, but the demand yes. for services for transgender people grows at a very rapid rate every year. Funding increases slowly. End result, the queue gets longer. Yeah. So if you're a trans person going through that process to be faced with, you know, two year plus waiting list to even see someone yeah. to start your journey can be hugely challenging and very difficult. Um, so um, for organisations, so organisations offer private medical care to have this is has huge impact on employees and eligible members of families. Yeah as well as people t- taking people out of the NHS queue as well, so somebody else benefits. But from an employer's perspective, to have somebody who's going through this, who can accelerate their process, but also get peace of mind that they're on the journey, is mm-hmm. hugely valuable. I do speak from experience. Um, uh, the insurance companies didn't want to do it. Not quite sure why, because the cost of doing it, minimal, 
because the you know numbers are relatively small. Yeah, and say, so it's probably going to affect like yeah. one or two employees, perhaps out of two or three hundred. Oh, even probably even know. lower than that because yeah. you know some trans people just prefer Don't. not to go through it. So, yeah. so, um, so what then happened was there was a growing sense of awareness across a number of companies, and this is where kind of the the networking thing goes in. Yeah. So it very much became next practice to work with your insurance company to provide that. So much to the extent now that many large scale employers just offer it as a matter of. Yeah, course. It's, it's actually by the insurance companies, Absolutely. it's just automatically part of it. Absolutely. It's just, yeah. it's just there um, and it's becoming, I wouldn't say it's there yet, but it becomes the norm. Mm. So, but that, that, that's something that is very inclusive, um, has minimal cost impact yeah. for the companies and their insurance providers, but for the people it impacts. Huge. Hugely, hugely valuable. That's, I guess, what we want to see, isn't it? That everything just becomes the norm. That it's not a special thing. That mm-hmm. it's just, that's just how it is for everybody. Um, we've covered so many topics <laughs> today and I have loved talking to Amy. Um, but we always like to finish on some tips and, and help and support for um, for the audience. Um, so for those that are running businesses out there, um, what kind of things could they take away today? What kind of top tips would you have for the things that they could start doing to improve um or review or even start because even next practice for some people best practice could be so far away because they're at the very beginning you know they're having start they do, this is the first that they're even thinking about it what kind of advice would you have for them i think the the first thing is to be honest with yourselves about where you are um and how do you do that um you you reflect on where you are you review where you are as an organization as a leadership group maybe in comparison with peers or other organizations that are nearby um or charters yeah you get feedback yes yeah so you know as well as and it's non-judgmental it's here's where you're at here's things you can do yeah so um you know we talked about manchester pride all equals charter stonewall stonewall workplace equality index is another Mm -hmm. good one there's lots of consultants out there that will come in and give you yeah. some feedback. You know, I think that's really important. And then developing the the intent to 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 move forward is is really important. And also, I'd say is don't be complacent. So if you feel you're in a good place, yeah, it only takes an incident. It only takes one person to have a. Negative. Poor experience because somebody in the management chain wasn't aware, didn't understand or, you know, whatever. So reflect, get feedback, develop intent and then take action. And, you know, the old cliche, you know, how do you eat an elephant? Small chunks. So if you've got, <laughs> if you, if you've got, if you've got a lot to do, don't try and do everything. Yeah. Have, 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 have an evolutionary plan but but also involve people at all levels within your organisation. You can't do it do this from the top down, like we said before. You can't do it from the bottom up. You need to do it all. But by leadership showing intent and asking the right questions, and holding the organisation to account for where you are and what it is you want to achieve, you can achieve a lot. And. Um, and continue that, you know, that whole cycle that we talked about before 
Um, the con- whole continuous improvement cycle is really, really important. Um, and I think as well, uh, accept and understand that as an org- as a, as an owner, proprietor, a senior manager of a business, you actually have a responsibility not only to your shareholders, your mm-hmm. key stakeholders in financial terms or service delivery terms, but the culture you create in your organisation, the, the impact your organisation has on the wider society, the people you interact with, your suppliers, um, can be huge. And, um, you know, bit by bit, through positive intent and appropriate action, we can change and make a difference. Because we want to get to that space where, in every aspect of their life, everybody can be truly themselves. And there are no hurdles, no bars Mm. to getting involved. We want to get to a position where... People with talent and aspiration can look at organisations, can look at roles and say, I can do that because I can see someone like myself doing it because I know there are no barriers to Mm. me getting involved. You know, if I show the right application... um, You don't even think about barriers. Absolutely. Follow the the right development, do the right training, get the right qualifications, I can do that. Yeah. Uh, Whether it's, you know, inverted commas male or female dominated role Mm. whether it's a straight person's dominated role you can do anything you want and the only thing that matters is your talent your ambition and your ability um i think we've um hopefully given some advice on a number of different topics whether you're someone that's on that trans journey yourself and can take some inspiration from uh, and, and comfort from amy's story Um, whether you are um, an employer who is supporting uh, a colleague who's going through that process or um, an employer that is thinking about their building their um, inclusive business of the future. And we hope for all of those challenges, this podcast has given you a better night's sleep. Thank you. Thank you.